Hey, I wanted to ask a massive favour of you. 80% of you who listen to the podcast regularly don't follow it. If I could ask you just to hit follow wherever you listen, I would really appreciate it. It's an excellent way for us to get bigger and better guests and the ability to grow the community beyond anything we could imagine. It also helps the podcast grow more than you could ever know. So thank you. Welcome back to the podcast that aims to inspire you to do more with your passion. Have you ever felt alone, misunderstood or alienated in your job because you weren't like everyone else? Today's guest has taken on this feeling of isolation and persevered. Her story is one of opportunity instead of squandering. From one Twitter post, she landed an unexpected dream job that in childhood she thought out of reach. And I wanted to share her story as a way to empower anyone listening on this podcast that that dream you had isn't thrown away. And just because you didn't fit into society's expectations at that point, you can achieve anything that you want. That, that was my thing. It was quite visible. I have a lot of freedom and it just became something that was a huge part of me. I look around me and there's only boys and I even remember my first day working for Mini. I was in the office just meeting my new colleagues. One of the first questions they asked me was, do you want to be treated like one of the girls or do you want to be treated like one of us? And at the time, like, I didn't even know what intercooler was. Obviously, I was aware of Drive Nation, but right, well, I think I can give it a go. Well, but yeah, it's it's been really, really, really good. I've been so lucky with trying just to manage the, all the workload, but also being very wary that I need to manage my own well-being. <laughs> Snowball of very negative thoughts that shouldn't be there in the first place. But I try to focus it on the positives a bit like what, but I think, we all struggle with it in one way or another. Do they actually like, do you enjoy working with me? It's like, but I think looking at that, looking at that legacy, I think that's, as you say, that kind of like validates like, no, no, wait a minute, you, you deserve to be here. Do you have one thing you couldn't live without? A particular road, track, a cold start, or maybe even a cold brew? Well, this episode is kindly sponsored by Carburetted Coffee, the company dedicated to making high quality and great tasting coffee. After all, you wouldn't put 91 octane in your prized possession, so why settle when it comes to you? If you are as addicted to cars as you are to coffee, this is the only coffee you should care about. Oh, and it tastes incredible. From bean to cup, you can enjoy it however you like. So if you are like me, and you can appreciate a great cup of coffee head over to carburettercoffee.co.uk and help yourself off to 15% using code ignition15 as a thank you this podcast is lucky enough to be sponsored by ilike2race.com a brand new social network all about motorsport and unlike other certain social medias it's not toxic and it is just full of people that love motorsport and competition i mean i'm competitive by nature to the point where i've got a bit too aggressive in certain ways i mean just to just to think of the place I can now go to discuss McLaren and to discuss the ongoing drivers and who's going next. I was gutted when Daniel left, but I can't wait to see how they progress and get other people's opinions on I Like to Race. I'll be getting in there, getting involved. So if you're like me and you love competition and you love motorsport, look to the show notes below. Now, back to the episode. It was to start simply with, I mean, what ignited your passion with cars? I mean, when did that start? Um. So... I think kind of it kind of came naturally. I, I remember liking cars from very young, but it's a very weird feeling because I remember being like six and being obsessed with Hot mm. Wheels, but I never had Hot Wheels because I used to look at the commercials on TV and there's always boys playing. Yeah. And something deep down inside me said, I can't ask for Hot Wheels to my parents because they're going to ask questions because it's not a girl's mm. thing, which is silly. I don't know where that came from, but that was like inside of me. It's like I thought it's weird. I can't like this. Um, so I, I I only used to play with cars when I used we used to go to my neighbor's house because there were boys and they had some cars. I was like, oh, I'll play with your toys. Um, and so this was something that was always there. And then when I was probably 14, 15, I really enjoyed just taking pictures of cars. Once again, I didn't know even know what was what my interest came from, where mm. it came from. I just saw like cars that I thought were cool, like Honda's S two thousands or um coming growing up in Portugal, um cars like Lexus weren't very common. Yeah. So every time I saw one, oh yeah, it's an exotic car. Let's take a picture of it. Mm. 
And obviously my, my girlfriends didn't understand a thing of what I was doing. But then I think it was when I was 16, my parents were a bit tired of driving me around. Um, and then, so they just decided, you're going to get your motorbike license. And at the time I was like, well, cool. Yeah, yeah, fine. And I think that was the moment that something really clicked for yeah. me. Because always having thought as I was having felt as a bit of a of an outsider, a bit weird, um, and being a very shy kid, suddenly I found like this thing that I really loved, mm. and suddenly I wasn't that shy anymore, and I was actually making friends with other um, teenagers that have motorbikes as well, and suddenly I was like I had that community that was safe and that understood me. And I think that was that was a moment that re- really clicked for me. And I was like, wait a minute, this is this is something I really, really love. So when did it come to the point where you went, okay, I, I don't have to ask permission to play with cars, like I like a career or a moment where you went, okay, cool, it's okay for me to to show an interest. Uh I think it's around I think it was from the moment I had the motorbike. Mm. Because suddenly that that was my thing. It was quite visible. I have a lot of freedom and it just became something that was a huge part of me and even though my parents were the ones that kind of said oh you should get a motorbike yeah. they were not very happy they're <laughs> <laughs> still worried as they should be um but i think that was the, the point in time that i was like maybe this is something i actually want to work with for the rest mm-hmm. of my life and it was a funny one because i actually i was very confused on what i should study uh, when I was, I was about probably sixteen when I had to decide, and I went to um, what they call it these days, like a vocational post, yeah. coach, to try to get some direction. I did some tests and stuff, and and she got to the end of it, and and she told me, well, oh, well, it's very clear. It's like, okay, okay, what was it? And she's like, well, you should be a writer, or a painter. Just never try to be an engineer or something like, because that's not for you. I never have that. I was like, well, that feels like a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason was because because I never had a motivation. I always felt very threatened by maths and physics mm. just because a lot of times you're told that it's supposed to be hard or sometimes uh, your teachers were not very engaging. But I think from that moment on when I had the motivation, it's like, actually, I need this to be an engineer. I kind of really start really paying attention to those classes and doing really well and and made it to, to engineering that and that wasn't an issue at all but I think I kind of needed that almost kicking the ass of someone saying you can't do this and I was like oh <laughs> <laughs> wrong. but I'm so glad I'm so glad I did that vocational test and I'm, in a way I think he was right I think my my personality is always gonna is always gonna pull me to a more creative mm of engineering but i think i needed that basis of studying engineering to do what i did today yeah, i mean it's i guess with engineering it is creative because you're finding solutions you're you're problem solving so i mean because i guess writing seems a bit more i don't know on on brand it's i guess for for a young girl i mean just i'm being completely honest like when i was that you don't see girls women in in the industry like, like i went to talks there were men speaking on the subject and women would generally just not mention in the conversation, but it's fantastic that you found something and you carried on with that, even though that from an early age, you're watching Hot Wheels and, and there were, there were boys playing with those. But it's, so when it came to the career and, and making something of that engineering career, how did you go about that? And what was your sort of experience with it? Um, I think back at uni, it still felt a little bit like what you're saying. Mm. So at the time in Portugal, there weren't that many people studying automotive engineering. Uh, there was only one degree in the country. And uh, in the year that I studied, there's only two girls. Yeah. So it felt very isolating in a way. Not that I didn't have friends, but I always felt that most of my colleagues still saw me as a bit of an mm. alien. Um, they didn't quite get why I was there or people. And I was talking about this with, a, with another friend the other day. People quite often ask you how did you land here because almost like you expect to have some kind of superhero backstory of why you land in a place that you're not supposed yeah. to be um 
but I, I really enjoyed the experience. And after I finished and I came to the UK, uh, once again, I was doing a master's in motorsport engineering and there weren't that many women, but I could see that there were more than yeah. before. And now that I look back, I think there are, there are even more. So I, I do spot that trend and it's very positive and I'm very happy about it. But there were very, there were a lot of points in my life where it just felt a bit isolating and a little bit like, like what you're saying is like, I look around me and there's only boys. Mm. And I even remember my first day working for Mini uh, within the first 30 minutes that I, I was in the office just meeting my new colleagues one of the first questions they asked me was do you want to be treated like one of the girls and looking around there were no other yeah. girls so or do you want to be treated like one of us so it's almost very like you either it's us versus them and yeah so a lot of times it's almost like i need to be something and i'm not or i just need to try to fit into that category of being one of the boys if i want to be part of it which i think now it's changing a bit more but at the time there was a bit more of that kind of type of thinking yeah. which is quite toxic i feel like no i mean so what is it like then being i guess i guess it can be quite lonely at work then and how did you deal with with that that sort of feeling coming home from work and i feel like they didn't didn't get you or they didn't understand you or they didn't know why you were there sometimes it kind of just as sad as it sounds you kind of just need to put up with it because i didn't have a solution and for instance uh, as part of my work i've spent some time in Germany and that was an environment that where this one of the one of my assignments uh, I was on my own so I didn't really have other graduates or other colleagues that I knew around me and I was literally going to work and then after work I didn't really have anyone to hang with because all the guys from work were married and didn't really look good if we're going out for a drink with a 20 year old colleague if it was a guy maybe they were there wouldn't really anyone would even question anything, but suddenly, because you're a girl, that changes the dynamic. It shouldn't, but so literally for was it three or four months? I was like literally having to go out for dinner on my own, explore my own, <laughs> just spending time on my own, and just really getting very comfortable with it, um, and just getting on with work. Um, as sad as it sounds, but it it was just a way. It was it's just. Uh, I know some some of my colleagues did the same thing. Their experience was very different. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it was just the way it was. It just felt very isolating. So just try to travel home as, as often as I could and see friends and my partner back home. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I can imagine you must have learned quite a lot by yourself then, spending a lot of time on your own. Yeah. And even today, I think I feel like it, it's not a bad thing. I kind of understand myself quite well if I'm on my own obviously after a few months it becomes extremely isolating and you just want someone to talk to um but yeah unfortunately it's one of the things that kind of comes with being uh, a female in, in this position and once again I think it's changing and uh, definitely my job I've seen a lot of changes but at the time it, it was the way it was no, and so I mean, this is, we're talking about sort of the engineering side of things. And as as a female in, in, in engineering, so what do you expect? What do you not know, expect to change? What do you what would you see be more effective change than what is happening at the moment? Then what, what do you see are the main problems or were the main problems at that time? Um, I think a lot of times because the the people around you didn't have an awareness, or I don't know if it's they were not willing to have an awareness or sometimes I think they didn't know just because they weren't educated. And to be fair, I can't really hold that against someone. Obviously someone can should always try and learn how to be better. But uh, I think sometimes you need to be a bit realistic. Um, some of my older colleagues had different experience than we did and they grew up with different a different set of values. It doesn't mean that they can't learn, but it means just things are a bit different. Uh, to them and uh, I think in a lot of a lot of times when I had issues at work I think it was people just not really understanding my point of view or not really being willing to admit that there was a problem and just because they were male and they didn't see the problem that it that didn't mean that the problem wasn't there 
And uh, one very, there was a very interesting situation that happened a few years back. And it, it was bad in a sense, because obviously it was unpleasant for me, but it was good because I had a few friends that actually witnessed it. And for, it was the first time that they actually seen something happening. And I was at a friend's workshop uh, at the time was he was he had his little workshop at caffeine machine and he had open doors so i'll just take him some space in the corner fixing something on my bike sat on the floor oil on my hands bike parts all around me and an older guy walks in and he sees my partner standing next to the bike and he asks him like oh that's a really nice bike you've got there and my partner's like oh it's not my bike it's hers and the guy looks at me I must be transparent at this point because she just looks through me, looks back, my, looks back at my partner and is like, oh, so how, how are you maintaining the bike over winter? My partner like just looks like super confused and it's like, mate, I don't even have a license. It's her bike, her on the floor. And he, he once again, he's like completely ignored me. And he kept chasing my partner, asking questions. I just kept looking at me like, what's happening? Like, what, what? What is this like parallel reality that he just cannot see? And after he left, my friends actually came talk to me. It's like, oh wow, like we've heard women say that these things happen, but I never seen it. It's real. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. So I think sometimes like people won't believe it until they they really see it, and it's a shame. But <laughs> sometimes that that's the case. But I think as we see more women in the workplace, and I think people are becoming a bit more aware of um, the issues that we face and and um, not only of the issues around that we need to kind of get over to to, to, um, to kind of achieve equality, but also to achieve equity. Um, but it, it's good that... I definitely see a little bit more awareness around. And so, when was it at the point you decided that, okay, now now that the career advice I got 10, 15 years ago now comes into place? And because you, you started freelance work, at, was it for the, for the intercooler? Uh, in terms of the writing or the engineering? Uh, both. So, I mean, when did when did the opportunity for that come around where you started writing pieces for? So, the, the intercooler one was a really interesting one. Um, because I'm I'm an engineer heart, so my nine to five, I work for OEMs, um, and it was a time of my life where I had just moved to Stratford from from Oxford, and um, I didn't really know that many people around the area yet. But luckily, Caffeine Machine had just literally just opened like a month after I moved in, which was great. Suddenly, I had a little home away from home a little hub where I could meet people and around the same time because I had so much free time on my weekends I actually I asked um one of the owners Phil I just messaged him randomly saying do you need help with anything like I'm a free resource I'll serve coffees which I ended up doing over summer I like I'll do admin is there anything you need help that I can help with like I like what you're doing I've got free time. Let me do something with my time. Let me be useful. And at the time he, he, he messaged me back, said, give me two minutes. And next thing I get a message from Tom Ford, Wookie, because he was working with CNM as well. And Wookie just, met, just asked me, do you write? I'm like, well, I used to write back in Portugal. I haven't written anything in the UK yet. It's not really my first language. Um, but I can give it a go. And, and Tom was like, well, we need someone to write about motorbikes, but, but none of us has a, a license. You do, don't you? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of started a bit of a, of a partnership where I reviewed motorbikes for them. And that was like my real first experience of writing. And I was so glad I had Wookie as my editor because I'm coming from a different, writing on a different language. That the way you write really changes and I was very used at writing in Portuguese where we have like huge paragraphs and the way we articulate sentences is completely different and so that was great and then from there just different opportunities start popping up which was really good but then the intercooler was a bit of a funny one 
Um, it was actually, I think I had, during lockdown potentially, I remember I was home and I was was ill with something like I had a fever of sorts and I was just in bed. And I went on Twitter and someone had asked an engineering question on Twitter. And I remember like, wait a minute, I know the answer to this. I've got like a book somewhere that explains this really well. And I got up off in bed and and my partner's looking, he's like, What are you doing? And I was like, I need I need this book. And he's sitting there like grabbing a vehicle a vehicle dynamics book. I was like, Are you are you like are you gone completely mental? Like, is it the thief? I was like, no, no, it's like someone on Twitter needs to know this. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, right, okay. And I post like a little plot from the book and a little explanation. And um the guy who ended up being Dan Prosser messaged me back because like after after my tweet it's like have you thought about writing and I was like I completely dismissed it I was like no no I was like this is from the book of like you should talk to this guy instead because he's like it's really good if you need someone to write something about this and I was like completely dismissed it and then next thing I know my partner gets a call from Andrew Frankel (laughs) and he's like do you know this girl Joanna and he's like yeah she's my partner it's like oh does she want to write for the intercooler and at the time, like, I didn't even know what Intercooler was. Obviously, I was aware of Drive Nation, but and I was like, right, well, I think I can give it a go. Well, if, if it doesn't really go well, then, well, give it a go. That's fine. But, yeah, it's it's been really, really, really good. I, I've been so lucky with Andrew and Dan. They really give me a voice. They let me write, not about anything I want, but they give me quite quite a lot of freedom to pitch um, many, many different things. And they let me talk about subjects that maybe other websites wouldn't. Um, so yeah, I'm super grateful for that opportunity. It's been really, really great to work with them. And like the team that they have is like, I keep looking around, it's like one day they're going to find out who I am. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm waiting for that Scooby-Doo moment where it's just like, aha, you're the imposter. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm so happy to be working with with that team. They're they're amazing. That's brilliant. And just interested. So where does this imposter syndrome come from? Then because clearly you've got a wealth of knowledge, and you're you're great at this. The stuff I've read is great. And so, so why why is that come into it? Is it that that uh, that feeling of being an imposter? Um, it's it's really interesting because I it was actually a CNM talk recently, and it was this talk um, by. David Gandhi, mm. an amazing, very well accomplished um, supermodel. And he was talking about impost syndrome. And he said something that really resonated with me because he was saying, the day I stop feeling imposter syndrome, because it says, it says if he feels it, he says, the day I stop feeling it, I know I'm in the wrong room yeah. because I don't have more space to grow. And I thought that was a really positive way to look at it. And I tried to look at it that way. Um, but I think for me, the the reason or where it comes from is that not with being a woman in this industry, a lot of times it comes with uh, the burden of people not expecting you to perform. Yeah. And I've talked I've talked about this before, but basically I feel like if you're a man in this industry and you start a job, people assume you can do your job until you prove them wrong. Well, if you're a woman starting the same job, people assume you can't do your job until you prove them wrong. Yeah. Well, I've always felt I had to be really good and do things really well and be super organized so I can prove everyone wrong constantly. But at the same time, it always feels like I'm one slip away from losing it all. Yeah. And it's just such an immense pressure. And I think over the years, I became better at that. But still strikes quite often. And sometimes, like, it's in the middle of a meeting where, like, mid-sentence, like, oh, no, no, people are going to hear my accent and think I'm really stupid. And if I'm really stupid, it's because I don't know anything about what I'm talking about. Mm. And then everyone's going to see that I shouldn't be here and I'm going to lose my job. It's like, it can build up to be that huge snowball of very negative thoughts that shouldn't be there in the first place. But I try to focus it on the positives a bit like what, david said yeah but i think we all struggle with it in one way or another 
No, I think it's completely right. Like I've I've had times where I've had guests on the podcast that I'm I'm speaking to, and I'm like, why why are you speaking to me? <laughs> There's a million different outlets for you to to go and, and just to have their times is such a like such a pleasure. So, but what are those those good times for you? I mean, when you look at that, what is their evidence for you that you mean you go, oh wait, I did that, and how does that feel? I think that that I think that's what grounds me and kind mm. of what gets me going is the looking back and it's like. Yeah, you think of that right now, but think about all the things you've done. For instance, like even writing for the interpol, like it's been over a year now, and I'm still writing for them. And mm. um, usually, I write once a month, and if I'm taking a while, I'll get a text from <laughs> Andrew and Dan saying, "Oh, when is your next article out?" So that has to mean something, like yeah. And I think it's even looking at my um, other work achievements as well, and having worked for many OEMs, the fact that I'm still progressing, I'm still um even now I, I just left my um my job at JLR because I've been invited to do a different job but even like even leaving and people like saying like oh, we're gonna really miss you or something like this I feel like you really like <laughs> do they actually yeah. like do you enjoy working with me it's like but I think looking at that looking at that legacy and seeing that I was able to look that to leave that place without um without burning any bridges and yeah with having like a really good relationship with my manager and the people I manage I think that's as you say that kind of like validates like no no wait a minute you you deserve to be here yeah and Joanna how did you find that balance then because obviously you're doing part-time work on top of a full-time job and so the hours must get blurred at some point so I mean how did you how did you deal with that how did you find a like a rhythm with it it's it's hard (laughs) I think for me the the hardest is because usually my my work day would start from half seven and finish probably at five yeah um longer if if there's stuff that needs to be done and I think sometimes not even the time it's just having that brain capacity that after a long day of work staring at spreadsheets trying to think about strategy I stare at these like empty work document and just there's nothing that comes out like my brain mm. is dead and sometimes it's it's hard because if it's a very busy time and, and I felt this in the past I felt like okay I get to the end of my day and I've got two hours to do something I want yeah I can cook and spend time with my partner or I can write an article and rest or it's like it's always a combination of like I can do two things today what are they and in the past, I struggled with it because I feel like I really want to get this done. I really want to get this done. But I think more recently, I've been a bit better at bringing up boundaries around myself as well. And sometimes if I have to go and go back to and say, in this case, could be anything, but in the case of like Andrew and Dan saying, I'm very sorry this week, I'm a bit overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's time to actually sit down, properly research this and then come back to you. Can you give me a few more days? And they're really good. They don't really like chase me for for deadlines or anything. But like sometimes just having that, like someone asks you to do something, say like, "I'd love to do it, but not this week. Let's do it next week." Or it just not feeling guilty about taking that time for yourself as well. Yeah. Because then if you're burned out, you're not. You know, your brain is not going to be able to do anything anyway. So <laughs> might as well just kind of try to pace yourself. And I use the weekends a lot to to write. Um, because Al is freelance, that sometimes means that he's working away working yeah. a week, which is London. I'll just sometimes just lock myself in the house and get stuff done. Um, but yeah, it's trying just to manage the, all the workload, but also being very wary that I need to manage my own well-being. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's all the chaos. And so, and your, and your partner is it Al? Yeah. Yeah, and how was how has that relationship evolved for all of this, and how how has that been for you to, to exploring each other's careers and, and and growing with 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 each other? How has how's that been? Um, I think it's been really good. So he's he was already so for context, he's a film director, so he mm. does commercials. So we're both quite into our, our cast, which helps because it means in our free time we like to do cast stuff and we can do it together. Yeah, um, which is good. It means we spend time together some couples some, some sometimes you've got different um interests which i've had with different partners in, in the past but 
this kind of works well because we enjoy doing the same things. Um, but I think career-wise, it's been really interesting. We don't really work in anything, like we don't work in any projects together. We both work with um, automotive manufacturers. Sometimes it's it's funny because, and even it was around lockdown, it's just thinking like when we both working from home, you had global campaigns for like Bentley or Bugatti coming out of his office. Yeah. And you had like strategies for like Range Rover and stuff getting out of my office, like my little desks is like, wow, there's like a lot of stuff happening in this house. <laughs> um, but we never really work together. And I think that's a good thing <laughs> in a way. Because then we can do the hobbies, the the good the stuff that we actually enjoy um together. But then within being freelance, me having a bit more of a defined um like work schedule, that can be a bit tricky. Because mm. obviously a lot of times I have to take holidays and he's busy filming somewhere in Europe or yeah. um he might just Come talk to me and say, "Well, from tomorrow, I'm going to be in London for like a week." Because things just pop up in his calendar. Yeah, a bit like out of the blue. <laughs> but I think we kind of get on fine. I think it's it's good in a way that I've got that routine. Yeah, if you were kind of trying to organize a very chaotic calendar around each other, then I think we we might actually struggle a bit more. So no. it's good a bit more grounded <laughs> than trying to work around his work schedule. Yeah, I think it's it's good. It's good quality time is a lot better than just spending time together because if you if you're actually spending time enjoying each other's company rather than just just being each other's company, like I've had relationships in the past where all I did was spend time with that person, and it's it's great. Don't get me wrong, but like you're not spending that time growing as a couple. You're spending yeah. that time just being there. And so when when it comes to looking at the future, Joanna, like into the next five ten years, if I was to tell you the next five ten years are going to be the best five ten years of your life, what would have to happen, and what would you like to happen in in that time? A tricky one. Uh, I would say, because I'm starting a new job in Feb, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm excited about, and it's going to be a big change for me. I like. I would say that if the next five years I could do really well at that and also mess up, that'd be genius. Okay. I really like that. Um, I'd very much like to travel more. Um, mm. I just came back from Japan. I absolutely love that trip, and. I would love to go back with more time. I was only there for five days and it blew my mind. So I really want to go like two or three weeks and really do a deep dive in the on the car culture there, go see some drifting and really, really explore more. And I want to do that not only in Japan, but hopefully being able to travel a bit more. Um, I'd love to upgrade my car collection in yeah. the next five years. Um, my dream car, which I probably will still not be able to afford in the next five to ten years, but I'll try really hard, would be a, some sort of a 930 or 964 um, mm-hmm. Porsche. I've got like a, a print of an old Porsche like above my desk. So that's kind of like, that's my goal. Um, not sure if I'll get there with the current car prices, but <laughs> one can dream. Um, yeah. But then I think like really just being happy doing what we do with friends um really seeing my partner's career keep doing really well because we're super supportive of each other and obviously he he always wants me to see doing really well and he keeps pushing me to do more and better and I, I just want him to do the same as well so I really want him to to do very well and, and I think that'll be like the main things for me just like mm. new car do well at the job be happy I think that 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 the one. <laughs> yeah, and so so is it more you're focusing on is it, is, the, is the new job is is that more freelance as engineer based sort of? Um, so very different. So at the moment I work a strategy role. Mm-hmm. I've done I've done quite a lot of different roles in my life. I've worked in quality. I've worked in validation integration. So test driving prototype cars. Uh, then with Jola, I worked a lot in strategy so both powertrain and body and chassis um and now my new role is completely different uh so i'm going to go i'm going to be joining the new general motors design studio in Lamington spa oh wow yeah and i'll be working as a business manager for the studio so trying to run the day-to-day of the studio um 
make sure everyone's on track with programs and just kind of keeping everyone everything and everyone in check um and so that's going to be a very different experience to me so but it's a really small team of really yeah. really good people so i'm very 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 excited for it yeah and so i mean how's the, the is there a preparation you're doing for that on the side i mean how is that because i guess managing is a lot different than than strategizing so you, is there things you've been interested in looking at as like from a self-development point of view like so how have you as a preparation coming on um i'm definitely looking up some stuff before i start um we quite lucky because the studio is still being built so we get i'm say we get a bit of a buffer be- between uh, i started in the, in the studio being fully running and i think that'll be a really good time to me for me to get used to all the things i need to do and my team um but at the end of the at the end of the day i think a lot of the skills that i'll be using are a lot of the skills I'm, i was already using my previous job which yeah. is a lot of the project and program management it's just about joining the dots get people talking bringing up the communication and just ensuring that everyone's clear on what was going on so i think that in terms of skills there's a lot of parallels yeah. um then obviously working for a different company different processes different people will come with its um new challenges but looking forward to those as well that's brilliant. And in terms of the, in terms of the culture, I mean, how is it how is it different to like Jellar and stuff like that? I think it's going to be going from somewhere we've got thousands and thousands of employees to a studio that's probably going to have, I'd say, between like thirty fifty people. Mm. I think it's going to feel a lot more like a bit of a startup. Yeah. And moving from, um, like this area, which is a lot more, I'm not going to say non-creative because i think there's a lot of creativity that comes with strategy yeah uh, i think the focus is going to shift a lot more and it is going to definitely be more creative even for me that i'm not a designer i think yeah. it's going to be more creativity um being um needed for my side and I'm, I'm really excited for that and but generally i think we've got such a good team like i, I think i'm going to learn so so much so i i, I can't wait really looking forward yeah. to that I've I've gone from jobs where you're just a cog a cog in the machine to to being the person that makes sure the cogs are working and it's it's a complete complete shift. You you learn things about just not just about people but about how they work and and just how to get the best out of them. And so when it, when it comes to getting the best out of you, so what do, what do you look for in a job that that makes you happy and makes you content with that job? Then I think for me, I always need to feel useful. Hmm. And that can take many shapes, and, but I think I feel useful when I'm I'm providing either people or products with a way of growing. So mm. my previous job, um, I had to manage people, and I I always thought I wouldn't enjoy managing people because like oh no that's a bit, but I really 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 enjoyed the coaching side of things. I really enjoyed seeing people growing. I still really mm. really helping people with the development and see them achieving amazing things. Same thing with product as well. I'm so proud when I work in a car that does really well or wins any awards or even people come talk to me. It's like, Oh, I had that car. That was really good. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's a huge part of me for me. And then I think a big part of it as well is being able, and that maybe that's the creative side is being able to do some sort of storytelling. Yeah. It's, and storytelling can take once again can can be many things. But even if it's trying to convince someone, like say a strategy, you should really do this. And like really building the story and the storyboard that kind of brings people in the journey with you and mm. for them to agree with you or disagree with you. But like just for them to make a decision, I really enjoy that way of thinking of having to strategize on how we're going to present this, are we going to tell this story. So I think those are like it's creating for me it's creating value, seeing people developing, seeing products developing, and then the, that story storytelling side of things as well. No, and if, so if a young, they can be male or female, but if a young sort of creative comes to you, and uh, they, they say like I need some coaching, for instance, in in just be, not just being creative, but also just I guess writing and and telling stories. I mean, what would the advice you give to that person be? 
it's always think about the things that make people passionate mm. think about energy and i think a lot of times uh, in the engineering world we tend to be a bit boring and just focusing on the numbers but numbers don't make something exciting there are cars are very efficient that are as exciting as a microwave right now on sale and maybe that's why i tend to go for all the cars because i feel like they they've got some type of character and i think that comes from not always making the right decisions but making the decisions that people are passionate about yeah and and i think it's always like always be willing to learn something i i've done several times in my career was um and once again, if you ask me what's my five to ten year plan, I can never tell you because I keep yeah. changing my mind. I always chase the thing I want to learn. And I, I a good example is when I was working for many at some point, I got really frustrated with cost cutting measures. Because it was like, well, we've been working on this car for ages, we made it perfect, and now two months in, the car is in production, you come in with all these cost cutting measures. But even though that frustrated me, I understood that there was there was space for me to learn about it. Because if we're doing it, it didn't mean that the people like Munich didn't like cars. It yeah. means that they were doing the reason. So I just I just didn't know what the reason was. I didn't understand what's behind those decisions. So I said, I need to learn. Yeah. It's for me to learn. It's not because the other people are wrong, it's because I haven't walked in their shoes. So really have that willingness to learn from other people, even when the decisions they make or what they dis- or their direction doesn't really make that much sense to you. Just try and learn because at the end of the day, that's going to make you a much better professional if you've got that um, breadth of knowledge and you've done different things and you've learned different things. And then the last one is always about yeah, it's the passion, the energy that you bring into your job. Yeah. Like really take accountability for what you do. Um, and really, and even if your job is or might sound a bit boring, even if it's you have to start, start like a, at a, a, an Excel spreadsheet or you have like a huge essay to write, which is very long and on a very boring subject, just try to find what makes you passionate about that? Think about the bigger picture, what you're trying to achieve in the end. Yeah. So I think that's it for me. That's pretty. I think passion can be can be something that motivates you and also also tears you apart. And it's it's one of those things. It's the thin line between love and hate. Is a absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, John, there's some questions I ask at the end. And so, like five questions for like a fast five. And um, the first of those being, if you could pick any three cars in the world, what cars would you have? Oh, you're doing this to me. Um, so I'm gonna <laughs> have a 930 Turbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say my Suzuki Cappuccino. Yeah, brilliant. How many cars were there? Three. Three, yeah, three. Oh, um, then I need something a bit more practical, don't I? Uh, oh, my God, I was only thinking about, like, Oh, do I want to go for a unicorn or do I want to go for something practical? I'm going to say the 930 is my practical car. That's my daily. The cappuccino is the weekend, can fit anything car. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, a Euro SV is my, my state of garage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very practical <laughs> three-car garage, right? Stays, stays under the cover and doesn't, doesn't move. Oh. <laughs> And I mean, it's brilliant. Then what? Just what? Why the why the Suzuki Cappuccino? Just out of interest, because it's a very odd car. It's very unique. Yeah, I think that's that's my baby. I've bought that car on a bit of a whim. I mm. must regret it the next day, but I said it. I said I would stick with my decision. But I think because that car came into my life during a period I was like struggling and there's a lot going on, and it's almost like the one thing that will put a smile on my face. And I think at the end of the day, you always need one silly car that it's valuable to you, maybe not to yeah. anyone else, but that just puts that smile on your face. And 
uh, so many people I know that have like really good cars and they get in that car and they still smile. So that, yeah. that, that says a lot. <laughs> That's the brilliant thing about cars is no matter what the, they mean to other people, they mean something to you. And it's it's brilliant. You can drive any car on any road or track, but you can only do it once. Where are you going? What are you taking? I am going to go and pick some mountain road around Japan, some toge. Mm. And I'm going to go on and on the NSX because that's the car with the like with the most amazing gear change that I've ever driven and I want to do that over and over again on that kind of road. Yeah. That's one of the things I didn't think about is you, you I guess if you do it once you could drive that road as many times as you want and just so you should get out of the car you're fine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All day it's fine. Until until the petrol tank runs out. What is like the most I guess more important a modification you can make to car? What for you makes what would you like, you like to change in cars the most or what would you put on a car to? Make it low, different wheels. Make it different wheels. <laughs> I think whatever car it is, it was always going to look better low. And mm. wheels really make a car. And obviously, you can. there's a lot you can do on engines and stuff, some cars more than others. But I think the most striking change I can make to a car, and also the dynamics of a car is always lower springs or some coilovers and some nice wheels and that just transforms any car it does i think it's like those things that you see like a bagged um r8 for instance like that's a car that's that's not particularly appealing but when you put it on bags or anything like even a vw camper they change like I said, it completely changes the look of it yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the thing that inspires people isn't it the looks the looks of modified cars and so the next question is what inspires you who inspires you in general, still today, or just in terms of cars? Anything. It could be anyone, anything. I'm very inspired by the people around me. Mm. I'm so lucky to know people that have done such great things and that achieve so much and that are so ambitious. Um, and I think I'm very – sometimes it can be a bit almost like disarming you can feel a bit oh wow they've done all of those things and yeah. I've got all of those cars and I haven't achieved the same at their age or oh my god but uh, the truth is that I am so inspired by the people around me and, and that really means like anyone anyone is my friend I'm like so inspired by what people are doing um I know a lot of women are breaking barriers in a lot of um automotive related um yeah jobs which is like really amazing to see and i'm so proud of all of them and i think like as i say i'm not really inspired by public figures or i'm just really inspired by the people around me and the amazing things that they achieve no it's brilliant like i said i I, it's funny enough i spoke to my dad about this the other day it was this podcast every guest every every for every guest i have it's nine guys to one woman and it's, it's like I say, it's it's not like it's hard to find them. It's just getting get, getting people on the podcast and showing their quality. And Joanna, the last question is sort of what is it about cars that you love the most? I think for me, cars have always been about freedom and the people you know through cars. And once again, being a, a shy kid, it was about cars first gave me the means to get to places. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me a safe means to get to places because. Um, and this might sound a bit stupid, but as a woman, sometimes I wouldn't feel safe walking somewhere, but driving, that kind of brings me that safety and that uh, freedom back. And then meeting people who are passionate about the same thing, people who are very interesting and who almost have like that sense of community and a shared interest. Yeah. One of the reasons I really wanted to work in the industry was because I wanted to help build cars that bring other people the same feeling of joy and community that I felt with my cars. Mm. That's why I was always being more driven to uh, the OEM industry, mass manufacturing, rather than motorsport. Because if you yeah. build an F1 car, you're building for two people, two drivers, basically. Well, like if you actually work for manufacturing, you, you put in cars out there for millions of people. Um, and I really wanted other people to be able to feel that joy 
that happiness that I felt with mm. my car. Shows that there is someone that's it's like we're lucky to have someone like you, I guess, in the industry that, that cares that much and is willing to tell stories not just on paper but but through the cars themselves. Um, but yes, but thank you, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak. Thank you very much as well for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and along with all of you that share the podcast already, it's excellent to see that we're in the top 10% of most shared podcasts over 2022, and that blows my mind to know that you are helping however you can, to spread the podcast. And if it just helps one person to figure out what they want to do with their passion for cars, it's so worth it. So if you wouldn't mind, share it with as many people as you possible and anyone that you know that loves cars. Joanna's experience of having to contain her passion and bottle it up just because her parents and the people around her didn't believe it was the best thing for her is a challenging story to hear. And still, the chapters she has written after this for herself are even more inspiring not just in her career, but in her vocation as a journalist, using the knowledge she has following a job that gives her real purpose and allows success, all while balancing life and focusing on happiness in her relationships, platonic and romantic. I hope you have learned something, if not about Joanna, but about the possibilities of what you can do with your passion and knowing the opportunity is no less than a tweet away. With that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. Do you have one thing you couldn't live without? A particular road, track, a cold start, or maybe even a cold brew? Well, this episode is kindly sponsored by Carburetted Coffee, the company dedicated to making high quality and great tasting coffee. After all, you wouldn't put 91 octane in your prized possession, so why settle when it comes to you? If you are as addicted to cars as you are to coffee, this is the only coffee you should care about. Oh, and it tastes incredible. From bean to cup, you can enjoy it however you like. So if you are like me and you can appreciate a great cup of coffee, head over to carburettercoffee.co.uk and help yourself off to 15% using code IGNITION15 as a thank you. This podcast is lucky enough to be sponsored by ilike2race.com, a brand new social network all about motorsport. And unlike other certain social medias, it's not toxic and it is just full of people that love motorsport and competition. I mean, I'm competitive by nature to the point where I've got a bit too aggressive in certain ways I mean just to, just to think of the place I can now go to discuss McLaren and to discuss the ongoing drivers and who's going next I was gutted when Daniel left but I can't wait to see how they progress and get other people's opinions on I Like to Race I'll be getting there getting involved so if you're like me and you love competition and you love motorsport look to the show notes below